The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In the last sermon we posted from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit, we began dealing with the issue of believers' baptism. Article 7 of our Articles of Faith here at Zion Primitive Baptist Church teaches us that only believers in Christ are the proper subjects for baptism. In many religious denominations, infant baptism is practiced and taught, but does the scripture really support that? Join us today as we conclude this message on the proper candidates for baptism by wrapping up our discussion of believer's baptism and exploring the issue of infant baptism. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
So he sent him down here, and you know the rest of the story. A man named um, uh, an Ethiopian eunuch who served under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, had been to Jerusalem to worship, which tells me he was already a child of God. This is not a story about Philip going down there, down there and preaching to him and getting him born again. He was already reading in his chariot. He was already studying the scriptures. We're told that he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit told Philip to go by, go near to him. And he did. And he asked him about where he was reading and if he understood it. And then he preached to him Jesus. And then if you recall from the last time, we're told in verse 36, as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? We talked about the fact that they had all kinds of water in, in containers that they could have poured on his head. But he needed to find enough water to go down into so he could be immersed. And notice what Philip said here in verse 37. Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I don't want to get too far off on this, but I'm afraid sometimes we put too many burdens on God's little children. You know what we believe here at this church is different than what most of the religions of the world believe. You know, we believe that God saved his people completely at Calvary. We believe he did it all. We don't believe he put a burden on any of his children to, to do anything, to accept him, to pray a prayer, to, to live in a certain way. Now, all those things are good things to do, but a dead man can't do anything. We believe that God did it all through his son, Jesus Christ. But when one, some little one comes and wants to join this church, we don't need to hand them a four or five page test full of questions. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? Do you understand all of the details of every single one of our articles of faith? I dare say that none of us understand all the details of all of our articles of faith. What did this Ethiopian eunuch need to do? Now, obviously, Philip taught him some things. He didn't just, he didn't just throw it out there and say, if you've got a funny feeling down in your heart, just come on down here and I'll dunk you and you'll be okay. <laughs> no, he knew some things. He was already studying the scriptures. And he explained to him what the Lord Jesus Christ had done for his people and for all of those who feel that prick in their heart of the new birth. So he knew some things. I'm not saying we... We ought to be ignorant. We need to learn and grow, and we need to understand the things that he's taught us here. But notice what he said. He said, do you believe with all your heart? And that Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, I've told you the experience that I had with Meredith when she was about eight or nine years old wanting to join the church. I finally asked her one night, I said, well, why do you want to join? She said, because, Daddy, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and said it is finished, he put away my sins. You know, I could have said, okay, well, what do you understand about his second coming? Uh, what do you understand about uh, 
how it is that the church is supposed to receive members or what do you, you know, she wouldn't have known the answer to that, but praise God, she believed that Jesus Christ was the son of God and that he was her savior. <laughs> you know, that's really all we need to be concerned about when one comes like that. Now, don't get me wrong. He said, go and make disciples. That means teach them. They need to learn. And, and so I'm afraid that's one of the problems in the religious world today. There's such a move to try to get people into the church and then they go out and get other people into the church and they don't worry about the ones that are in the church that need to be taught and need to be discipled and need to be taught how to serve him and what the scriptures say. Well, let's get back on track, but my point is this. This man believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You know why I get in the water with the candidate for baptism? Because what I read about here is that John the Baptist did it, Philip did it, all those that we read about here, they got down in the water with them, you see. But notice here. This man was a believer. This man believed. You see, we believe that it's only believers who are proper subjects for baptism. I'm not going to go to all of these, but I'm going to just point you there. You might want to write these down, but we're not going to turn there. Back further up in chapter 8 of Acts, verse 12, we're told that when they had believed Philip, they were baptized. And then we're told back on the day of Pentecost, Back in Acts chapter 2 again, in verse 41, it says, They that gladly received his word were baptized. You can go over to look at Philip, I mean Peter rather, and Cornelius in chapter 10. You can, you can uh, look at and read about Peter's account of his, uh, in, of his dealings with Cornelius in chapter 11. And we're told that he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 17, in particular, Peter's telling uh, the other saints over there about his encounter with the Gentiles. And he says, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? In other words, when that man believed, when he, was a, a, he proved that he was a believer, then he was an eligible candidate for baptism. Clearly, belief is necessary to baptism. So here's the summary of what we've been saying so far, okay? Baptism is for believing, repenting candidates. Baptism is for believing, repenting candidates. Again, it doesn't get us to heaven, but it gets us into the church, and it is obedience to God's word. So this is a pretty good little segue into the next portion that I want to deal with briefly, which is, the topic of infant baptism, infant baptism. There are many denominations, the Roman Catholic Church being the most prominent one, that baptize infants. They sprinkle them uh, when they're babies. Now, this is where we need to talk about that regulative principle versus the normative principle. And that regulative principle, as I've already said, states that the corporate or public worship of God must be founded upon specific directions of Scripture. Okay, Now, if we were to subscribe to that normative principle of worship, we would say that the public worship of God can include anything that's not specifically prohibited by Scripture. But we don't subscribe to that. Remember Article 2 of our Articles of Faith? We believe that the Word of God is the only rule of faith and practice. Only what we're told in the Scripture 
uh, is, is that's what we're to do. And, and this has been a struggle for the church throughout its history. Which is it to be? Is it to be this regulative principle? That is that we follow only what the, 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 uh, the Scripture says, the New Testament says, or are we to be able to add things to it? And, and if you recall, let me just say this. Back over to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus made a very profound and important statement about the church that we don't need to forget. He said, Peter... Upon this rock, not Peter, by the way. Peter, you know, had made the statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He said, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not Peter, the rock of revelation, the rock of the fact that it's been revealed to Peter that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Upon this rock I will build my church remember that my church i i love it when we say things to each other about uh, i've heard people say this before i love our little church i've heard people say and i've said it i'm going down to my church sunday morning i can't wait to get back to my church well you ought to have an ownership feeling about it i'm thankful for that but don't ever forget it's really not your church it's not my church I'm just the caretaker here that the Lord has put here. And I'm thankful that he's done it. But I'm not the leader of this church. I, I guess in a way I'm a spiritual leader. I try to be an example. But he is the leader. It is his church. And I want to say to you, beloved, if there's something I own, especially if there's some business that I built up or something that I created from scratch, I think I ought to have a say-so in how it's handled. Don't you? Well, the Lord thinks he ought to have a say-so and how his church is handled. <laughs> and the difference in the Lord and me is that he's always right. Sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes it's appropriate for me to pass it on to somebody else. But this is God's church. And so we ought to do it the way God says it. And so when it comes to infant baptism, we've already talked about how every baptism we see in the scripture is a believer, someone who's repentant, someone who's been taught. And here's the point. Nowhere in scripture is infant baptism commanded? Nowhere. Nowhere in Scripture do we have an example of infant baptism. Remember what we said back over in Matthew chapter 28 and verses 19 and 20. He said, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. Who? The ones he's taught. Y'all would think I was crazy if when Meredith and John Morgan and the baby come back to church, if I take Cal, who's probably going to be a few weeks old at that point, and sit him up over here and say, y'all, I've, I've got to take some time to teach him about what we believe here. I've got to take some time to talk to him because I want to baptize him today. <laughs> uh, you say, something's happened, Brother Chris. <laughs> we, better be, we better be thinking about another preacher because uh, he, can't, he can't be taught in that way. He can be taught some things, yes, but he cannot be taught the things that, that make you a disciple. He said, make disciples of them, and they're the ones you're to baptize. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, he said, he said unto them, Go ye unto all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He didn't say he who's baptized shall be saved. And we're not talking about eternal salvation here either, remember. But still, believers' baptism, and a baby can't believe. And by the way... Uh, History doesn't support this either. I don't have time this morning to go through it, but if you'll go do a study of history, you'll find that the, one of the earliest times that any kind of infant baptism is mentioned 
is sometime in the early 200s A.D. by Tertullian. And that's the first time you hear it. Even it, if, you, if you remember, I, I said I didn't. Let me, just, let me just say this much about the history. Go back to the history of the Reformation. Go back and study a little bit about the Reformation. We don't call ourselves reformers. You know why? Because when you go back to the Reformation, you're going to read about, you're going to read about the followers of John Calvin, the followers of Luther, the Anglican Church, which was born out of not a real scriptural or moral reason, but the King Henry uh, wanted, wanted to be able to divorce his wife and various things like that. He didn't like the Catholic Church, but be that as it may, you're going to read about all those, but then you're going to read, you're going to read about this little unknown kind of just a by-the-way type of mention. People that are really just a byword. They're called Anabaptists. Anabaptists. A-N-A Baptists. You know what that means? That literally means rebaptizers. <laughs> rebaptizers. And they were called that because they would not go along with infant baptism. They would not agree that babies were proper candidates for baptism. And the truth of the matter is, is that they must have existed pretty early on. In fact, if you go read the history of the Waldenses and some that were before them and also others in that time frame, as far back as 413 A.D., emperors Honorius and Theodosius II made it a capital offense, a, a death penalty offense, to rebaptize anybody who had been baptized as a baby. Now, if they had to make it a law, that meant somebody was doing it back then, right? <laughs> you see, they all believed in believer's baptism. Even Luther and Melanchthon, who was a, a co-reformer in that day, they hated the Anabaptists. The, there was a city ordinance in Hanover, Germany, which required the beheading of rebaptizers, And it was done with Luther's and some others of their approval. And my point is this. Obviously, there were some people then that did not believe in infant baptism. I've read accounts where, you know, in that day, everybody had to be a member of the church. In fact, they were all baptized as babies, and the state and the church were sort of married together. And, uh, and if you didn't go to church, you didn't participate in church, you were being treasonous to the state. So many Christians who didn't believe in those, even in the Catholic church necessarily in that day, they went anyway. But we're told of many of them that when a baby would be brought down to be sprinkled, to be uh, so-called baptized, they would just quietly in protest turn their backs and face the other way. I've said this before, God didn't call us to be protesters. He called us to be professors of him. And that's what those sweet, dear saints were doing. They weren't picketing the church. They weren't doing, I'm so thankful, by the way, for what Martin Luther did. I'm thankful for the reformations that occurred in that day, but don't ever, buy into the fact that we are part of that reformation beloved there was a people that was already doing the things that should have been done uh, according to scripture you see it's only about 300 years 200 to 300 years after christ that you start reading about baby baptism okay one other thing that ought to jump out at us as a pretty obvious uh, thing that dictates against infant baptism is that the method mandates against it. Infant baptism is not baptism because they don't immerse. They sprinkle or they pour. 
I mean, now you think about this. What if I took our new grandchild and said, I'm going to baptize him today, and I got down there in the water and I and come back up? Y'all call DHR on me, you know? Y'all would say, man, that's torture, that poor child. A baby can't be baptized like that, you see. And, and incidentally, um, even John Calvin, who, now he is arguing, he, he stood for the proposition that immersion or sprinkling was okay. He, he believed that. But he made this statement. He said, it is evident that the term baptized means to immerse and that this was the form used by the primitive church. And I'm quoting from his Institutes, chapter 15, which is entitled, Of Baptism. He said, this was the form used by the primitive church. It didn't come up till later. Uh, immersion is the proper mode. And like I said, we'd be arrested if we started dunking babies. <laughs> so the proper mode can't be followed with babies. Well, our time is getting short here. So let me skip down to, uh, to a couple of arguments that are often made in favor of infant baptism. First of all, there's an argument in favor of infant baptism that this is, this is the continuation of circumcision. You remember babies, male babies were circumcised by the eighth day when they were born in Israel. And it's often argued that baptism is a replacement or a continuation of that circumcision. But here again, we go back to the regulative principle. Where do we read that in scripture? Where do we read that in the New Testament? Nowhere. Nowhere are baptism and circumcision connected in any way. In fact, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul says that you're not under the law, but under grace. Over in Galatians, he tells them that the Galatians there, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? In other words, who's trying? These people are trying to bring you back under the law. They're trying to bring you back. And, and this is about the time that those uh, Judaizing missionaries had gone down there and said, Listen, you've got to get circumcised and keep the law of Moses. It's not enough that you're a believer in Christ. You remember Acts chapter 15? <laughs> Let's turn over there just for a minute as we sort of bring this to a close this morning. Acts chapter 15. It said, certain men of Judea came down and said, they taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So Paul and Barnabas took up the issue and they came back and they had a little church council. They had a preacher meeting there. The apostles and the elders were told in verse 6 came together. And it says, after they had argued, this, verse 7, when there had been much disputing, which happens often when a lot of preachers get together, by the way, still happens today. It said, when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's pointing them back to Cornelius and his experience there. He said, and God which knoweth the hearts... Bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, here's the point where Peter ought to be saying, look, you don't need to worry about circumcision because baptism has replaced that. This is the place where circumcision and, and, and the new method of uh, serving the Lord have come together. This is the place where he ought to explain it that way if indeed it is true. But notice what he said. He said, now therefore why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. 
I don't find any mention here or anywhere else in the scripture of any connection between circumcision and baptism. Lastly, there's an argument about baptism because there are four times in scripture where households are baptized. In Acts chapter 16, we read about Lydia and her household. Later on in Acts chapter 16, we read that in the case of the Philippian jailer, all his house were baptized. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 8, it says, Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house and talked about others that believed and were baptized. And then over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, I baptized the household of Stephanus. And he's talking to them there about how he didn't baptize anybody else. Now, the argument goes like this. It says their household was baptized. Well, that must include babies. I challenge you this week, read those accounts. See if a baby's mentioned there anywhere. You say, well, it must have, preacher. Because doesn't every household contain at least one baby or young child? Well, let me just, as we bring this to a close, let me just share with you my experience. My experience. When I came to Zion Primitive Baptist Church, I joined in October of 2011. I was ordained in March of 2012 on a Saturday. The next day, I baptized my whole family. You know why I baptized my whole family? My youngest child at that time was nine years old and had expressed a desire to be a part of the church, had expressed a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, had indicated to me that he was a believer and the rest of them as well. I didn't baptize any babies. And my point is my household didn't include infants, you see. So why do we assume that just because it says a household in the scripture, it includes infants? And again, I go back to this point. Our only rule of faith and practice is the word of God. And we don't add to it, and we don't take away from it. Amen. I'm not criticizing people who have subscribed to this belief out there in the world. Many people sincerely hold that belief. And they, try to, they make arguments from Scripture about that belief. But I'm telling you, beloved, if we're going to stick to what thus saith the Lord, we've got to stick to believers' baptism. We've got to stick to those repentant believers who come here and want to be immersed in the type of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. 
For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.